When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com What up, Sea of Red? You're listening to Into the Flames, a Calgary Flames fan podcast. Your home for all things Flames and updates around the NHL. With your hosts, Raja Burry and Noah Eppleston. Into the Flames, new episodes every Sunday. Surpassed my expectations. I'm actually really happy I, I made the move out. Actually, it's really it's really cool. Yeah, well, you're a good add to our our media. <laughs> team, that's for sure. Thank you. Uh, I don't know. I, I have ways to go, but it it uh, it's nice to know that people like my work. That's that's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I really like your stuff. Yeah. I mean, I watched you on the CJ show from like even before any of that. So like when that got announced that you were here, I was like, oh god, that's the guy from SDPN. Let's go. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so yeah that was was dope yeah thanks it's uh it has changed my life for the better i think julian mckenzie is um flames writer for the athletic and he is also on the cj show with obviously chris johnson that's the initials that you hear cj on sdpn and yeah so he's pretty plugged in he just came out with a insanely sick article over on the athletic it's a whole behind the scenes piece uh, regarding the trade, the Chuck Huberto deal, and mm-hmm. just basically the things that we wish for as fans, looking and hoping to see behind the scenes. Like last night, they played mic'd up footage from the game in Florida. That was like the best two minutes I've seen aired. I would say just because we kill for that, and we don't have an Amazon Prime show like the Leafs, and we don't have a paid subscription like the Oilers. So it's really cool seeing. I guess outlets deliver on that whole behind the scenes aspect. And Julian's article does that absolutely beautifully. So mm-hmm. I'm going to hand it over to you, Julian. How did you like, how did you get this done? Like, seriously? Uh, first off, hi guys. Thanks so much for having me. And um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I asked people if they wanted to talk to me about this and they all said, yes, really. It was, just i don't know i i had the idea to put something together like this uh i guess around the time when i started the beat which was about a little over two months ago and um i don't know it's always been my dream to write stories like that like if you read stuff stuff either in the athletic or or any other website you know normally for stuff like a big trade or why this person left this team or what the relationship was like and stuff like that like getting to know all those finer details uh, I've I've always wanted to do something like that, and I guess I guess doing it through this oral history is kind of close enough to that dream, and I would love to still do that again. But I don't know. I just had the idea, and then during training camp, just reached out to as many people as I could, and uh, just tried to put something together. And I'm happy that a lot of people enjoy it, and and it's especially hearing you describe it, it's really opened my eyes to what I think a lot of people want in in the market in terms of what we at the athletic can can at least try to deliver so uh hopefully i'll i'll work on trying to provide more behind the scenes stuff yeah i i know especially as a flames fan there's not a lot of that um around here at calgary like behind the scenes stuff and and seeing what's going on with the team and i know when the maple leafs released that documentary of their team that was a, a big thing around the hockey world right was seeing what's going on behind the scenes and how the team really works together so yeah, an insight like that here in Calgary is like anything, like more than anything we could have asked for, for sure. Cool. Uh, what's funny about that Leaf stock is like my biggest criticism with that all or nothing thing was that I felt like 
we got a lot of insight with you know how Kyle Dubas did things and 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 Sheldon Keith how he was trying to run that team. But like I would have liked a little bit more from the players. I know they had those little moments where you get to be a little closer with with one of them or two of them at a, at a, at a time and whatever. But it would have been cool to get more of their perspectives and thoughts like in the locker room like it's cool that they showed us the coaches room stuff but <laughs> i felt like that that especially that year that they had and the way that it ended like, i don't know if you guys remember how the doc ends like they go through that first round series and they yep. kind of speed through it it feels like <laughs> and then at the end you see them do like one or two pressers and then it's over like you go through a crazy collapse against right. a team you should have destroyed and that's how it ends. Like there's no, there's no sufficient fallout. Like I, 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 I know that's not, that's not the point of this podcast, but like I can go in on so many criticisms I have on that. So to hear that so many other people, so many other fans around the league would want something like that. It's like, well, geez, like, you know, if that's the bar, like let's raise it a little bit. Cause I think that doc, I don't want to say it was completely underwhelming. There were so many other things that were needed for it to be a true success compared to what we see from hard knocks or, or drive to survive in that one. Right. So yeah, it's really interesting to hear people, you know, advocate for that when we know the bar for coverage like that in the NHL should be so much higher. Absolutely. Yeah. I go to, I go to sleep at night and hoping to wake up to news that the flames are going to have one of those, one of those uh, documentaries. Right. So when I read your, when I read your article and got to see the insight and how the players were actually feeling when they went through that situation, it kind of gives us a different look at the players on your team and, and see them for who they truly are, not just a hockey player. Yeah. Like hearing Jonathan Huberdeau react to that trade and then also compounding it with how uh, Alan Walsh, his player, his agent was describing it. Like I kind of felt bad for him, you know, like, he, he <laughs> played in Florida as long as he did. And then supposedly Bill Zito, the Pampas GM only really gives him a handful of words. And then that's, that's it. And he doesn't really know who else is going in the deal. Mackenzie Weir was going through that too. Right. Uh, it's really interesting to to see how you know we're we're in this world where we're all supposed to be super connected and everyone's supposed to be able to reach out to each other, but you know you could still learn through Twitter that you've been <laughs> traded from one place to another, or this player is going with you in a trade. As Mackenzie Beaker's mom apparently figured out, like it's really fascinating to hear how how one person's decision in the off season led to this domino effect of of emotions for so many other people. And no wonder uh, Huberto and Uyghur went off the way that they did uh, after that Panthers game over the weekend. Like that, this, this meant something to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at, you look at these guys and, and the superstar caliber that Jonathan Huberto is, and you would expect so much more out of the entire Florida organization in that situation, right? Like he, he received a very warm welcome back in Florida and the fans love to see him and he loved it. But like, like you said, uh, the Bill Zito, just a couple words, you would expect there to be so much more behind the scenes. And that's why I really like when people cover it is because it shows that like, maybe it's not all that you think it is. I will say this though. Um, when I asked Bill Zito about it, he declined to kind of go in on the full extent of that conversation. And I think this quote didn't make the article but he said he didn't want to betray those guys, and he meant Huberto and, and Uyghur. He didn't want to, I guess, air out his side of it, how it might have gone, and maybe out of fear, not just fear, but just out of respect to those two players. At the end of the day, even if business is business and stuff kind of runs a little quick, I'd like to think that Bill still realizes that those two players did mean something to that organization and trades and, and telling people that, hey, you're not on our team anymore is still a very difficult thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And considering how emotional those discussions might have been, I can understand why Bill and I tried to at least mention at least once, you know, hey, like Bill from Bill's perspective, Bill's perspective, him saying that, you know, it's not something he'd want to go in on. Right. Uh, and I did try to at least give him that opportunity to say something. But I can understand where he's coming from, too, where it's a very difficult situation as a GM to try to break that to your players and to kind of air out that dirty laundry, whatever dirty laundry it may have actually been. Uh, I can imagine that starts a whole other thing. So I can respect the fact that Bill didn't want to necessarily go that route. Absolutely. And I mean, I think like to Noah's point, the reason why I guess mentioning that it was only like a couple words being dealt again, that's, you know, sealed off with how much he really wanted to give up 
or give away from his side of the story, but we're fans of an organization that waits too long to deal with their players. So we're not used to just quick action. Like, Oh, this guy still has a year left on his deal. Let's deal him. Right. We're not gonna be able to extend him. Yada, yada, whatever the reason may be, but it's like, we're not used to that in this market. We're used to hanging out for dear life. And then the again, let trade, which is a perfect example. <laughs> exactly what I'm trying to framework right now, but it's just that sort of thing. It's almost like a really good insight of just looking at how organizations deal with things differently, how they, I guess, the brain power that is in the executive chair. And I I think aggressive is a good word because like you can go around and say like GMs are aggressive or like they're always in on things. And that's something we were always so used to hearing. And, oh, they're always like, you know, lurking around trying to make the team better. But then a trade like this happens and this is like seismic. This is like the biggest deal since the Gretzky trade when it's the first ever sign in trade in NHL history. Just all the implications around it are just insane. Um, this is the biggest trade since the Gretzky trade. That's that's your take on that. You that's that way? That. because ah. when, when you think about it, it's the first sign and trade in NHL history, and it's the first time 200 point players get swapped for each other since that deal. So that's how I look at it, at least. Never thought of it that way, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's the way I look at it, too. I mean, yeah, you got two 100 point guys going back and forth, something that the NHL has never seen before. So, yeah, I would agree with Raja that this is probably the second biggest trade right behind the Gretzky trade. And it's That's like, kind of wild. That's yeah, wild. Like that is wild. I mean, yeah. Then again, like, I mean, I, I come from a market where people are still hurt about Shea Weber for P.K. Subban. So hearing that <laughs> from you guys is like, whoa, that's that's crazy. I mean, I mean, I don't know if that's to your point. Like, yeah, that's not every day you hear about high quality players getting swapped for, for one another, and yes, they might be at different ages and stages, but yeah, like high-quality players, a sign-and-trade, announced at like 11.30 Eastern time. Like there's so yeah. many things about this move that were so so crazy, and like I'm, I'm glad that like I was able to like put this into like some kind of story because like, like that was a thing that like like in, in the middle of the summer, already the Flames got kicked in the nuts with, with how the Johnny Gaudreau thing happened, and then right. like this, like I felt bad for Flames fans, honestly, from a distance. I was like, geez, like, how do you lose, like, two great players? You guys had, like, the best first line in hockey, like, three 40-goal scorers, and (laughs) two-thirds of them just said, nah, man, like, I want out. Like, they could have easily folded and just, like, you know what? We're going to rebuild. But but I, I will give uh, Brad Trilliving credit. Like he he said, you know what? We're going to try to make something out of this. And he has turned his that into uh, a team that is hopefully trying to get a, try to be competitive for the next few years. And look, he, Jonathan Huberto was off to a slow start. I think he's starting to to pick it up now. Mackenzie Weger, I think, is doing okay at the back. Like if Jacob Barkstrom holds the fort a little better, they look a little bit more competitive, at least absolutely. this year. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And yeah, like you said, um, just the crazy summer that it was the, the best way to describe it here in Calgary this summer was an emotional roller coaster for flames fans. I mean, it was so high to so low and, and then, yeah, the Gaudreau leaves, everybody's like, where do we go from here? What's the plan? And then it's news that Kachuk's getting traded. And I think the whole fan base was in shock for two weeks, even though we were getting the return of Huberto and Uyghur and guys like that. It just, it didn't feel real here in Calgary. Like it didn't feel real at all. Like it was just a big dream. And then it didn't start to click in that this is our team now. And this is what's happening here in Calgary until like even a, maybe only a month ago. I, I, I still can't even believe that Huberto's in a Flames jersey, bro. That's where <laughs> I, like, I, this dude is locked up for the next nine years and I'm sitting staring at him like, oh shit. So there is a number 10. it's kind of funny like seeing like jonathan huberto like as a as a calgary flame he was in like florida for how many years i remember like being on tim and sid last year and he was going through the years going through and i called him like the best left winger in the game and just thinking like wow like this is a guy who's like really good his contract's up and like at the trade what's funny too is once that trade happened and he went to to calgary the very first thing people started talking about montreal was so is he gonna be a free agent join join Montreal next year? Like I was one of the I and people like I, I couldn't blame fans for thinking that way. So I was I was wondering, like, is that going to be a thing? But to go back to the story, like Jonathan 
I guess, still feeling pretty raw about how things went down. He did not want to put himself in a situation where he was going to have to wonder about where the hell he was going to play uh, after the next season and people descending on him on that. So I think the the flame signing is just as much about him realizing that a team wanted him in light of another team not wanting him and wanted to take advantage of, of that just as much as the team that does want him is putting itself in a position where they could win now. And, and mm-hmm. they figure that Hubert is a could be a big reason why they could win now if that happens. Uh, Julie, were, were you able to catch the, the Calgary-Florida game uh, last weekend? I was uh, in Sunrise for that. I traveled for one oh, game, okay. and it was just, yeah. for, just for that game. And, uh, and I, yeah. <laughs> what, did you, what did you think of, of the scenes uh, that we saw during the game? Like the in the warm-ups with the Barkov stretch pass to Huberto, the, uh, the ceremony video... How how did that all feel down there? Man, that was that was a pretty cool moment, I think, especially for those those two guys in, in Weaker and Huberdo. Admittedly, at first, like I was really just focusing on the fact that like those two guys were on the ice. And it really didn't occur to me until like much later in the game that like Barkov was also there and he had fired that pass to to Huberdo. Like I can imagine for all three of those guys who were all teammates, and I mean, they went through what they went through last year with you know, winning a first round series for the first time since 96. And then they, they lose to Tampa. Uh, there's rumors about players going to like a strip club before the series ends. Like there was so much emotion and crap that went on in that series. And then it's just over off one decision, right? Like I can imagine there's a lot of emotion uh, that comes off of that. And and to see that the fans uh, reacted the way that they did when Huberto and Weger were the last two guys on, that was really cool to see. And that was that was cool to see the fans kind of show love and respect to to those two players and and for Barkoff to kind of hang around too. That was that was also really cool. Like you could tell like there's some there's some strings that are still kind of attached. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was really um interested to see what was gonna happen there in Florida, uh, with the reception to Huberto and Uyghur coming back. Because the Flames are going to have to go through something like that soon as well, right? And I'm not sure if it's going to be the same kind of reception. So I, I was really wondering what it was, what the feel was like when they were back in Florida. Yeah, I also, I too wonder what it's going to be like in Calgary because, like Huberto and Uyghur didn't ask to be traded. You know, mm-hmm. it just kind of happened. Kachuk asked to, or at least Kachuk said, you know what, I'm not interested in signing long term. And who knows what would have happened uh, over the next year. Uh, if you know they kept him and they tried to figure something out, maybe he has a change of heart, maybe not. But I don't know. Like they they said, you know what, we're going to trade him, and then they did. So I wonder for fans who I'm sure some of them still miss him. Um, I also wonder for those fans who kind of feel a little spurned a little bit, like they feel a little hurt. They're going to boo. There's going to be a bunch of people who boo. It's, it's, yeah. it's in fans' nature to yeah. boo players who say who, who don't want them to play for their team anymore. And Matthew Kachuk will be no exception. But, I mean, there are still a lot of people who wear Kachuk jerseys to to the Saddle Dome, right? So right. there's definitely going to be a few fans who are going to, you know, still try to, you know, show them love. I'm sure during the video tribute, they'll also applaud him and whatever. It's going to be a, a mixed bag of emotions, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm gonna be going to that game that when Chucky returns. That's funny. The first two games that I cop tickets for were immediately Chucky and Johnny's returns. I was like, nope, I have to. Like same way that Huberto had closure in Florida, I need closure for those two breaking my heart. So there's that. Oh um, man, that it's tough, man. Like if you're a fan of the team and, and you grew up watching those guys and they were so good, and then they tell you don't want they don't want to play for your team anymore. That must hurt. That must hurt like a lot. I can't think of growing up as a fan of, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I don't, I don't need to go in on any heartbreaks of what I've endured as a sports fan, but like it hurts and you're allowed to feel hurt. You're allowed to feel sad. You're allowed to feel, you know, you deserve some closure. You know, those players spend all those years in, in that city and they put on for the team and they decide, you know what, they want to do something for themselves, but, and, and they're entitled to do that for themselves. You know, I'm all about player <laughs> empowerment, but like, I get it. Like you're going to hurt people's feelings in the process. So, you know, it's okay if you feel some type of way about it. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I'm pretty sure we feel more, more strongly about it than Islanders fans do. I don't know what they were doing between Johnny the other night. That well, was- Islanders fans are very just salty period. Like no disrespect <laughs> to Islanders fans. Uh, they're like, 
I guess it's like a little brother syndrome thing with the Rangers, but like I feel like <laughs> any type of sensitivity you throw their way, like they take that immediately as disrespect. So like right. any opportunity they get to one up like John Tavares and the Leafs, like I get that too. Like fine, like you, you take advantage of that and you revel in it. But like I, mm-hmm. I definitely think like you know every fan base is gonna do that to some degree, and I shouldn't just take that swipe at the Islanders. Like they're they're, they're, they're nice people. They're a good band. They're a good group of. The fans, it's just, you know, they, they they can be sensitive. I honestly think it might be a mix of both in terms of reception. I think it's weird because the way I look at it is like, hey, I kind of saw the last two seasons that he was here that it was almost like there could have been some sort of rift. And obviously this is like hypothetical. But after the Muzzin incident when he got a puck flipped at him and just he lost it and there was there were obviously rumors rumbling around the city that the leadership group here told him to calm down, whether it was a leadership group, management, whatever it was. This is all just word of mouth. There's no actual proof stating this, but that's what we were accustomed to hearing in that span when that happened. And it was such a terrible season that year and just no fans and COVID. And it's just like, well, thank God, at least we had something to watch for three hours, right? Like, um, and it's like, hey, it was just really, really rough. So to me, the way I looked at it was like, if any of that is true, you know, external factors aside, it, I kind of felt like, okay, heading into the 21-22 season, I wanted to see what Kachuk's impact is going to be. And I can't do anything other than go to the rink and go home, right? right. And there's all of all of that on top of the fact that, like, oh, there were rumblings that, like, yada, yada, yada. It was either go Kachuk's way or Geo's way. That was the, you know, makeup headlines at the time. And, you know, I kind of sit there and I'm like, hey, well, in a way, I kind of empathize for him because it's like the guy dragged us into the fight almost every game for so long. And you're telling the heart of the team to calm down. Like, if that narrative was accurate, which, again, no proof, but. Since that rift, I always sort of felt like, okay, there might be something here where we might, there, there could be a scenario where we lose Matthew Kachuk. And I also thought about it too when he signed that three year bridge deal. I was like, okay, the Sportsnet behind the scenes, you know, interview where he's talking about how he would have totally been willing to go six to eight years, but, you know, the Flames told him this is the only route that they want to take so that they can keep the team together. Yeah. Um, to me, that's another side where I'm like, okay, I can't fault him for that, right? Because that's a business thing. Yeah, that Muzzin incident and, and how it relates back to everything. And really, like, there's so many things that, that incident caused that could be the result of how this team is now, like, if you think about it, right? Yeah. And and in Kachuk's leaving interview, he said that he, every night he, he gave 100% to the Flames. He went out there and played his absolute ass off every single night for this team. And... I believe him on that. He did give us everything every night. I do. Too. And yeah, like the Muzzin incident is exactly like one example of that, like game over, right? Like we've lost and he's the only one out there that's still in the battle. Like doesn't matter if the, if the horn's gone yet, he is fighting to be a Calgary flame. So I don't, I don't know. I hope he gets a good like reception here when he comes back because he, he really did love playing as a flame and played his ass off as a flame. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, Noah and I talked about it when it happened. Like I, I, for one, I'm not even remotely thinking of booing Matthew. <coughs> All that I'll, there could be some that do, but to me, it's like, I think we did good with the, how the situation played out. So to me, I'm like, you know what, go make your 76 mil in Florida and um, yeah, have fun with the, no state income tax, but it's fine. Um, I'm not hurt. Does it? Does it? This sound feels like hurt? I'm sitting in on a on a therapy session. <laughs> Are you guys okay? <laughs> you guys, you guys, uh, you guys, taking this break pretty hard, huh? It was it was a, a rough bit. summer, Julian. It's a rough summer. It's a, it's a, it's okay, guys. It's okay because because <laughs> uh, you know sometimes sometimes people go away and they leave relationships. Because they want to be better. And sometimes it's not the healthiest thing to be in a situation where, you know what, maybe you don't want to be around. Maybe, you know, it's better off 
to 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 leave and do something else and make yourself happy and maybe the other person could be happy too as opposed to you know i'm not saying that things were bad i, I can't speak to what the riff might have been i'm just trying to make this situation better what is grief if not love persevering that's something like that yeah yeah absolutely yeah and speaking of you know you brought up the term breakup it seems like after the florida game that seemed to be like the closure that Huberto needed because just the last five games, even including, you know, prior slightly to the Florida game, since his return from injury, he's looked a lot better. And he's looked like, you know, the wheels are starting to go a bit. And chemistry is a weird thing because before this season started, did we ever think that we would be talking about a top line of Ruzichka, Lindholm, and Toffoli? No. Nope. Uh, we were right. so, like no one I were hoping that Ruzichka would be in the lineup and we've been gunning for that since the deadline last year when you know, it's okay we don't need to get into that but um, it's okay. oh my god it's okay it's okay Raja <laughs> but yeah can you tell I'm passionate like oof. um yeah but seeing Ruzichka kind of come in when Huberto was out with his injury come in and just go off the way he has and you know alluding to Daryl's comments of saying like you know, Lindy likes who he's playing with. Like he enjoys who he's playing with. Um, I think it's just a revelation that Ruzichka is up there and it's caused Huberto to settle in with Backland. Is this something that we that's, could that's what I was going to say? It, like yeah. the, the performance of Ruzichka on that top line and providing that offensive spark, I think has done wonders to, to Jonathan Huberto's confidence, right? I mean, you look at that goal he had last night in Philly, the confidence he had on that shot, it, it was like he knew it was going to go in. I yep. mean, so that, and just having a guy that has been healthy scratched, he's battled kind of thing, and finally finds his way into a first-line spot and produces, as Huberto, you can sit back and kind of think, okay, there's there's other guys here too that like I don't need to stress myself out over being like this. I need to score three points a game kind of thing. He can settle in, find his game, and grow that confidence. And I think that's what's happening here in Calgary right now. I, I would make the argument that even before that injury, like the Islanders game he played before he got hurt, mm-hmm. I thought that had been the best he had, or at least the most confident he had looked uh, as a member of the Flames since the trade. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think just him just trying to get adjusted to how things are in the system. It's not the run and gun style. He's expect he, he normally would have played it. He would have played it in Florida. Uh, but he was, you know, he screened a uh, Elias Rorkin for a shot. He was trying yes. to help that offense go. Like, I thought that game, he blocked a bunch of shots in that game too, which ultimately led to, I think, that foot issue that he had. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, like, I, I think Huberdo, that road trip, I think of anyone. Because I think just before that, like Blake Coleman kept saying, like, yeah, you know, we need to go on the road. We were playing all these games at home and we need to get ourselves going and get on the road. You can make mm-hmm. an argument. Huberto's probably benefited from that, like, the most. Just an opportunity for him to get to know the guys more, get himself settled, maybe not have that pressure of playing at home and trying to make it work in front of fans, maybe. Um, but I, I think that Huberto is finally starting to, you know, slowly starting to look like the player that the Flames got that they wanted from that trade. And if he keeps that going, you know, the fact that he's making it work with Michael Backlund and, and Blake Coleman on that third line, like that could end up being a really cool thing. I, th- I still think of that goal that he scored against the flyers on Monday where like, you guys are absolutely right. Like he looked confident on that shot. He did well to do it, but Blake Coleman, I mean, he got that a primary assist on that. He deserves <laughs> every bit of credit for making that play work for breaking up the play at the blue line and starting that rush. Like, having line mates like that who are going to be able to help them get the puck and, and work down low and, and, and create off and create uh, turnovers that allow them to keep possession, in the offensive zone, which I think Backlund and Coleman are really good at doing together. I was still really surprised as a side note that like Sutter even like separated them at any point, but yeah. like the fact that he put them back together, that is a really good move. I think if and you could do almost anything you want with this lineup, but I think if you keep Backlund and Coleman together, like you're you're good. So to have uh, a guy like Jonathan Huberto on their side as well, uh, we have the potential of seeing a, a pretty decent line out of it. And for Adam Zizka, a guy who's been trying to be consistent and he realizes the opportunity that's been afforded to him now, I think he's done well with it. He's he's looked confident. He's he's 
getting his shots off too. And he's working well with Lindholm and Lindholm again, as you mentioned before, seems to like playing with them. I think it's the fact that they're, they're both centers and they both kind of understand what it takes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I think uh, they have something there and it's, it's looking good right now. They, they look kind of wonky on that first road trip, but uh, it seems like they're turning a corner finally. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know a lot of flames fans um, were, have been, I guess, frustrated with the fact that Jonathan Huberto um, has been slotted on that third line for the last five games or so. But for a player that's slumping and a player that's dealing with confidence issues and a new surrounding and a new system, having two 200-foot beasts like Backlund and Coleman next to you is probably the best situation that you can be in. Having those guys that are so defensively responsible and forecheck the way they do it just it makes your life as Huberto so much easier. Yeah, I could imagine. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's funny. I didn't even when I was writing about uh, how they were trying to try to find a way to get Huberto going with Ruzicka playing well. For whatever reason, it didn't. I, it it wasn't something I had thought about that Backlund and Huberto and and at the time Lewis could work as a potential trio, and and maybe Daryl Sutter was just thinking, you know what, something has to work. Uh, and it was kind of like a last resort idea. But yeah, I think for especially for a guy like Huberto, who's still trying to get the defensive part down in this Daryl Sutter system to put him with two of the team's best two way players. That absolutely helps him could also take some lighten a bit of his load as well and help create some offense out of that line. I think the Flames can be really effective when they're put in a position where they can get offense from. All four of their lines, really. I mean, if nothing else, like your top three, your top three lines should be able to yes. produce. And yeah, I, I, I'm i sorry. Like, see how he's played with those guys. Like, I mean, it looks like that line works. And just if that's a way to keep him going, I mean, he's on that. He's on, uh, well, like four points in his last five games, or maybe I have the stat wrong. But like he's, Huberto's picked up his game. And I have to admit, I did not see it coming that he would end up playing with Backlund and then now <laughs> Coleman. <laughs> chemistry is just a weird thing. Like just heading into the season, you're like, Oh, Lindholm fully two guys that can snipe. Ooh, best playmaker in the league. Ooh, that looks like a good line. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, it just didn't, you know, and then you think about it now and it's like, okay, well, Adam Rizicka is up there. Let's put him next to two guys that aren't known for their finishing ability. And let's see if it works. And it works like again, small sample size. It's been two games, but it works analytically they were an absolute dynamo last night and you can get into underlyings and all that and you know how much you want to take stock into those to me they're they paint 50 percent of the picture i've always said that i don't know it just it gives me 3m line vibes like back to when kachuk backland and frolik were a thing and it just like it, it kind of gave me those vibes us and i was like you know what i like i love that line at the time mm-hmm. and i'm I'm trending towards loving this one. So I guess I'm excited to see what they do tomorrow and how they build on that game in Philly. Cause like that was just a really good game by that line, especially Julian, what are your thoughts on Dylan Dubé? Cause I saw your, uh, your tweet. I think it was you who tweeted it out. That's like, Oh, that's his first goal since opening night and all that yeah. sort of thing. And kind of taking a look at the Kadri line and how it's kind of tapered five on five with like Manjapani struggling too. And, just like, what's your overall take on that? Um, yeah, I mean, Dylan Dubé and Andre Madripani were kind of lumped together as two guys who, uh, at first they they looked okay on that Kadri line, and then Kadri kept scoring, and then those two guys just weren't. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I think for Dylan Dubé, like for him to get that goal against Philly, I can imagine that takes a bit of weight off his shoulders. I mean, he just has to find a way to get that going consistently. Uh, but I keep thinking of how Daryl Sutter expects a lot from that 23 to 29 year old age group. He, he kind of repeats that a lot in his, in either his pregame or his postgame press conferences. And Dylan Dubé is in that age group. So he has to produce, you know, I think with the, with the lineup that they have, I still think they need another finisher in that top six, but in the meantime, they need to rely on a guy like Dubé to, to produce. So good on him that he scored, but he's going to need to get himself going a bit more consistently. And I, I still think him on that line with, with Kadri and Manjapani, he was pulling out his best at least to start the year. But uh, he needs to find a way to get himself going a little bit more offensively. Fair I criticism. still love that line. Um, like, I, I think they're so fast and they forecheck well. 
Mm-hmm. Kadri, I think, has settled in he, it settled in Calgary uh, better than anyone could have ever thought that he would. Uh, but I, I think if those three keep pushing together, they'll figure it out at some point, and this slump's going to break. And I, I think we saw a spark of that last night in the Dubai two-on-one. Yeah, um, I like when I I remember watching this line from training camp, and I remember just thinking like how annoying all three of those players are just together because of those attributes that you mentioned. So I think at the very least, if they continue to do that while they're all together, and uh, you know, hem other players in their own zone, like at the very least, they could find their way to be effective that way. But I don't even feel I've seen enough of that in their last few games. So it'd be good for them to get back to what made them so successful at least at the start of the year and then i guess some more of that offensive production will show up too yesterday daryl sutter dropped a bomb that no and i kind of agree with i want to know what your take is on this but daryl sutter just came out and said that nikita zadorov has been this team's best defenseman so far and no and i were like the main zadorov fan club last year even like throughout his struggles i mean and now he's the level of confidence that he's playing with is just like insane. And, you know, with Kachuk being gone, we were kind of sitting always thinking like, okay, like who's the guy that's going to like score a big goal, going to drag the team in when there's like, and Zadorov has been doing that. Mm-hmm. Like this guy could have literally gone anywhere. If Eric Branson could get 16 mil in Columbus, Zadorov could have gone literally anywhere for probably the same amount of term that Eric Branson signed for and decided to stick around here. He's 10 times a player this year that he even was last year at this point in time in the season. And just just unreal. So what's your take on Zadorov? Um, I think he's had moments where he's looked like the team's most dynamic defenseman. And it's very surprising to see. As uh, a guy who, with all the changes being made on the defense, you think, okay, well, he's going to have to make it work as a, as a third-pairing guy. And possibly sheltered with 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 uh, Oliver Shillington if he was available to the team. Mm-hmm. Instead, I mean, he's had moments where he'll play third or second pair, and I mean, now they're putting him with Mackenzie Weger. And while he's t- he still kind of gets himself into penalty trouble and still some will will make the odd mistake here and there. The mm-hmm. fact that you know we've seen we've seen him in instances where he'll try to you know, go on the offensive and like yes. be the, be a good option for like Tyler to fully defeat the puck too. Like that is really cool uh, for this flame defense to have. And yeah, I think considering the fact Tanev's missed games, I think Noah Hannafin had a bit of a slow start to the year. Mackenzie mm-hmm. Weaker's still trying to figure stuff out, but he's gotten better. Yeah. You kind of, no wonder he said Nikita Zadorov has been the best guy. Plus he's played that way too. I think it's a combination of some other guys maybe not playing as well as they would. I mean, Michael Stone is still on IR. We're still waiting to see when he'll actually get back. But you know, I don't know if you were going to throw up him as as a second to how good the Flames defenders have been to this point. But I think right. Nikita Zadorov definitely deserving of uh, some praise from Daryl Sutter for the way that he's played. Mm-hmm. To, to me, he looks like such a like such a smart player this year. You mentioned jumping up on the offensive. Uh, He does it more than any other Flames defenseman I think I've seen this year. And every single time he goes for it, it is the perfect situation. He's always creating like a four on two or a three on one because he's decided to jump up and, and, and take that responsibility upon himself. Yeah, it's made him into a better defensive. We haven't even gotten on the fact that, you know, he's he imposes himself physically so well against opposing players again not hopefully not to a point for him where he's doing to take a penalty but the fact that he's made it work on that end plus the offensive side is what made has made him look so good to start this year jacob markstrom he's making some very very big saves but then there are also some very untimely just like routine sort of plays that you think that he would have like a goalie of his caliber would have and then suddenly you know it's kind of like a momentum shift it's like okay well damn like you just made all of these saves but the stinker is the one that's going to cost us the game mm-hmm. um, yeah and it's like like i kind of go back to the tampa example like we get the game within one and then i think it was philip myers like lobs one from the blue line and then just out of nowhere it's in like i looked down on my phone for like 10 seconds and suddenly we're down by two again so i was like okay like there's clearly some sort of struggle happening there with Marky and 
I kind of just want to ask you, like, what do you think about Daryl cost like playing him? Because like we heard of Vladar being like, oh, Vladar's getting a start a week. We heard that at the start of camp, and Noah and I were like, that's sick. That's twenty six starts for a goalie that's you know pretty solid, like a pretty unreal backup option who extended here for another two years as well. And I don't know. I just feel like my theory, I guess, within it, or like a theory that I've also heard going around is like Daryl is playing Markstrom to basically tell him to get out of the funk that he's in. I mean, we talked about the safe percentage needing to go up and that's, you know, clearly a fact. (laughs) Yeah. um, It needs to be better. Uh, Jacob Markstrom needs to be better. He's put on performances where he will look good for stretches and will even make great saves. But one mistake ultimately dooms him and sometimes the team. Mm-hmm. And while I think that for at least some of those performances, like the defense could also be better. So there's one game, I think it was New Jersey uh, or the Islanders, where like the Flames didn't get a shot on net for like 10 minutes in the third period as their opponent was coming back. It might have been that Islanders game. Like, it was the Islanders game, yeah. Like Jacob Barkstrom can't go out of his net and shoot. You know, <laughs> I think there have been some moments where the criticism is very much warranted for Jacob Barkstrom, and the stats definitely do not lie when it comes to that. But especially if you ask those players too, they're going to also mention that there are so many other factors that led to low to to leads being blown or 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 even Jacob Barkstrom unfortunately getting the L for for those mm-hmm. performances. Like I I think it's fair to say that he needs to be better. Um, but I know it's also fair to look at some other aspects of of the Flames as well in terms of uh, getting Daniel Vladar more chances to play. Like yeah, I remember um, Sutter saying that, and I think after the I forget which game he's I forget which game he he commented on that again, but he said. He try he's trying to do that. And you know, you're trying is very different from and trying and wanting is different from saying this has to happen. So you can tell there's definitely like, I can imagine Sutter is trying to get Vladar in, but like it definitely does scratch my head sometimes when you look at a week and you think, okay, it makes perfect sense that Daniel Vladar would get this random game against the Buffalo Sabres. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're gonna play Jacob Barkstrom there? Right. And then you're gonna let Vladar play the weekend. Okay, fine, whatever. I don't know. That's I. I don't know. I think that's pretty hard to follow. I can imagine that Del Sutter definitely wants to give Vladar opportunities to play, and uh, I can imagine that it's also maybe not fair to Daryl to just be like, "Well, you said this was going to happen. Things happen in the National Hockey League, you know." And and look, he definitely would want to have. Jacob Barkstrom looked good, and he looked good against the Flyers. It's just, you know, he needs him to be better more consistently. And I think that, I mean, at the end of the day, like, Daniel Vladar is your number two option, and you need him to get going. You don't want him to sit too long. But if the, this flame, if this Flames team delivers and makes the playoffs, they're going to rely on Jacob Barkstrom again. And Jacob Barkstrom has to be able to deliver when it really matters. So he has to perform in those moments. It's a bit of a, of a weird situation with regards to handling goaltenders you either get them looking real good or they're voodoo it's Mm -hmm. it's tough yeah and i think we all know that goaltending is such a mental game right like you can't get too high you can't get too low you you gotta maintain your your headspace and then stay where you're at and stay locked in and i wonder if that's part of the reason for markstrom he's made some really big saves this year already and i mean like flashy saves he had that windmill uh against winnipeg He's had a couple like cross crease one timers that he stopped, but then he lets in these little ones and he and he misplays the puck. Um, I wonder if it is a fact of getting too high in his head and thinking that he's on top, and then a fluke beats him. Right? Um, I, like I, I don't know what it is with him, but he needs to find a way to stay composed and on the same level throughout the whole sixty minutes because little mental errors are what is killing this team right now. Yeah, that's 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 a pretty good way of putting it. Just uh, I don't know about him feeling too high as a, as a goalie. You, you try to be as confident as you are in the net, and also different goalies have different approaches in terms of uh, their confidence level and, and their style in net. Uh, it's just for for Markstrom, it, it's just really frustrating. I can imagine, especially for fans, to see him do the windmill and make an incredible save, and then in the same breath 
see him allow like a like a weaker goal. Like he he needs to be able to like you know like you know what we haven't had to this point this year? Like a Jacob Barkstrom game. Like a Jacob Barkstrom, he stole a game that the Flames they did not play well, but he yeah. stole that game. We have not seen that from Jacob Markstrom yet. I don't know when we'll get it, but I think when we get that, that's what I think. And I'm and I get that maybe Daryl will probably not be probably still won't be happy about the fact that <laughs> he'll have his goalie stealing a game. But I just considering how his year has gone, um, just from my vantage point, I would be encouraged if it got to a point where where Markstrom stole a game. Uh, for the Flames, because that would tell me that he's at least getting closer to the form that the Flames need him to be at. Right, and, and I thought that save at the end of the Philly game that actually ended up leading to the uh, the Blake Coleman empty netter was a huge save for him because if that puck, it, it's all like caught up in front of him, right, and it slides out to the other side of the net, and he jumps across, gets in front of it, and Coleman fires it down the ice to make it four two. If that puck beats Markstrom. Who knows where this team's head at and where his head is at heading into the rest of this road trip to wrap it up. Yeah. Like one issue that I, I mean, one thing that uh, I know I didn't get to write about and, and hopefully would like to still write about is this, this team has, is still trying to play this like 60 minute effort and they seem to have figured out a way to start on time, but it's mm-hmm. a matter of them finishing the job and ensuring that when they have a big lead on a team, they don't lose that lead. Maybe they they bend a little, but they don't break, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that game against Philly was a good example of them maybe bending a little bit. They allow that goal in the third, but they didn't break ultimately. So they need to find a way to do that more often. It sounds a bit obvious to say, but considering how they blew a lot of those opportunities in that winless streak that they had, considering the lineup that they have, considering the veterans who are on that team, considering mm-hmm. the ups and downs that each of those players have gone through individually in their careers – it was a bit surprising to see them get to that point, but also, you know, just, just the adversity that they're trying to overcome at this point in the year. And I mean, I think like also Gerald put it really nicely in, I guess, stating that they're working towards being a hardworking and honest team. And that's something we heard back in the North division year when he first came in, he was like, okay, like I need to come in here and restart this from the ground up. Well, Newsflash, 200-point, 40-goal scorers left in the offseason. You're doing that over again. And that adjustment period of 30 games to close out that North Div year, plus an offseason, plus a full camp, then you saw the you know pure result. The team didn't really face much adversity last year. They had a killer instinct. We didn't have conversations about them blowing leads, right? But this year, new group, completely new fundamentals needing to be built in from the ground up. And again, it took 30 some games an off season and a full camp. And right now we're talking about game 18, right? Mm-hmm. So there's clearly a certain 30 to 35 game mark that I think is like sort of a adjustment phase where you're kind of waiting for guys to, who you know are good. The reason why there's a um, criticism towards Jacob Markstrom right now is like, we know that he's a Vesna caliber goalie when he's on like, that is not a slight towards him. It's just like, damn bro, what's going on? Like, we know you're good. Right. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Huberto. Huberto comes up to a slow start. It's like, dude, we know that you're elite. You had 115 points last year. Right. And Markstrom looked amazing last night, honestly, in my opinion. And Huberto looked amazing last night and over starting to look amazing over a brief little stretch here. So you need certain guys. It's also a situation of not just like systemic adjustment, but it's certain guys needing to get going that aren't at their peak yet. And I don't know. That's, that's how I see it. And I mean, if we're still having this conversation at the 41 game mark, like the, and it's halfway through the year and we're still talking about blowing leads. Yeah. Okay. Then I'm going to start getting a little worried. Um, but I still think that the Pacific division is not that like, yeah, you can talk about, you know, Vegas, they've basically run away with it. Now I don't see a world where they lose that unless, you know, the a curse beholds them like last season, you take a look at the division. It's still wide open, right? Few more wins here. You pass Seattle, your third, 
who once things get clicking and what I mean by clicking is like Marky's back, you know, the D is looking good. Like Hannafin and Anderson have been off the slower starts this year, despite Anderson's point production. And I think Uyghur has been good. Like you attested to. Yeah. It's kind of hard to be like in a position where you're like, Oh no, this team sucks. Oh no. Like they're <laughs> not going to go to the playoffs. Like I'm, I'm trying to pull up the, the standings right now. Like, they're not out of anything. They are tied for a wild card spot right now. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like this is through 18 games. Yeah. Uh, I remember for the CJ show uh, last year, we did this thing called Contenders and Pretenders, where at the US Thanksgiving mark, we decided to look at every team um, that was in a playoff position at that time. And I got CJ to be like, okay, are they a contender and a pretender? The Colorado right. Avalanche at that time, last US Thanksgiving, Yes, they had gone through injuries and COVID and stuff. They were tied for the second and final wildcard spot in the Western Conference. They were off to a so-so start, and they were not in the top three in their division at the time we did that video. We all know what happened to them at the end of the year. Yeah, I think as long as you're within that realm, as long as you're kind of hovering around where you should be, uh, you should be fine. And plus the fact that the the Flames are have won their last few games. They're 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 getting better at a decent time in their schedule, and again, they have all those veterans, and they know what it's like to go through a full eighty-two game season. Uh, so it's kind of hard. And I think even when they were going through the winless streak, like I didn't feel at all that like you need to press any panic button. I know people were asking the question, but I didn't think it was a fair thing to do. There are definitely things that need to be better. There are things that need that that were concerning. And you have every right to feel concerned, I think. But to be in full-blown panic mode, especially now, like I think that would have proven to be a very premature decision with the group that's in place. And yeah, just to add to that, like during that winless drought, I guess metrically, analytically, you look at the underlying numbers, like they were still playing sound five-on-five hockey. Like yeah. there's evidence that proves that. It's just... Things they were, were controlling play. They were yeah. at least starting to get production at that point. Like they just couldn't hold on to leads. And that was an issue, at least from the beginning of the year, the way that it was raised it was like, they needed to be better at five on five. And maybe they still need more uh, individual performances out, at that point. But like, I think even during that stretch of play, like they were starting to get better uh, with regards to possession and, and, and getting chances. The chances are up. They just need to finish. And I think that's a, Good spot to end it. I think we covered mm-hmm. it. Um, thanks for coming on, Julian. This was awesome. Yeah, Julian, cool. thank you so much for the insight and, and and all of the information. It was really cool to to pick your brain on all that. Thank you. I'm glad my brain works. Thanks so much <laughs> for having me, guys. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Julian. Awesome. Thank you. Alrighty, so that was Julian McKenzie from The Athletic and SDPN. Um. So I guess that was like a little mini game review summary. I know no one I haven't posted in a few weeks, busy schedules, whatnot, but we're going to get back to a regular posting schedule here soon. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you guys liked our content, feel free to, you know, hit that subscribe button. It's red. It's like the big red button, same color as the hat. Um, mm-hmm. So if you guys like the content, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button and go flames, go. Yeah, and uh, while you got time, head over to The Athletic and check out uh, all of Julian's articles on the Flames. They are all great masterpieces, I would call them. And yeah, (laughs) thanks for listening, everybody. Alrighty. Thanks, guys.